Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back for another episode, or I should say our week six episode of the Blitz podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Steve Gallo, and I am joined by my trusty sidekick, partner in crime, Harley Schultz. Harley, can you believe that we are really basically about halfway through the fantasy season before playoffs start? How has this happened? It happens fast, man. Life comes at you fast. If you don't slow down, sometimes you might just miss it. A wiser man than me once said that. Wasn't me. I think it was Ferris Bueller. Gotcha. Okay. So I know you have to have just a plethora of stuff available to you for the news. Unfortunately, I always do. Unfortunately, a lot of bad stuff happened this weekend. So waiting to see what you have, and then we'll talk at length about a couple of things if there's something I think that we might have missed. How's that sound? Sounds good. So that means I am now going to officially... Throw it over to Mr. Harley Schultz for this week's BPN News. Thank you, Steve. Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Brandon Marshall, and Dwayne Harris all sustained lower body injuries during the Giants' loss to the Chargers Sunday. By game's end, the only healthy wide receiver remaining on the Giants' active roster was Roger Lewis. Harris and Beckham are out for the year, and both Marshall and Shepard are questionable at best for this week. As of Monday morning, Shepard had the best chance to play this week. That was, however, until he saw that the Giants were facing Denver. Upon learning this news, Shepard's ankle injury suddenly got worse. (laughs) Charles Clay will be joining Jordan Matthews on the out list for the next few games, due to arthroscopic knee surgery. When Tyrod Taylor learned that his favorite target was going to be out, Tyrod went in to speak with team management and demanded a trade. When asked where he would like to be traded, Tyrod immediately responded, the New York Giants, citing both his desire to stay in New York as well as his desire to go to a team with a better wide receiving core than Buffalo. (laughs) After throwing five interceptions against the Jacksonville Jaguars, Ben Roethlisberger questioned if he still had it. No, Ben, you don't still have it. Fortunately, you do have Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Martavis Bryant. So realistically, you shouldn't need it. It shouldn't matter, and frankly, I am tired of hearing about this it. I mean, come on. If you really need a clown that lives in the sewer to help you win, then maybe you should have retired last year. (laughs) J.J. Watt sustained a leg injury midway through the Sunday night contest. Shortly after being carted to the back, the broadcast team cut to footage of Watt being loaded into an ambulance and driving away. This whole segment looked like something you might have found on an episode of Monday Night Raw rather than Sunday Night Football. And frankly, the coverage seemed both confusing 
and mildly disturbing. That is, until they cut back to the new Sunday night broadcasting team, consisting of Vince McMahon, Gorilla Monsoon, and Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> and finally, Dolphins offensive line coach Chris Forrester resigned today following the release of a video during which he appears to snort cocaine prior to a team meeting last week. Of course, this situation begs the question, why didn't Forrester share the blow with the rest of the Dolphins' sleepy offense? It also begs the question, if you are going to let someone videotape you doing drugs, shouldn't Forrester have at least borrowed Laramie Tunsil's mask to cover his face? <laughs> this has been your BPN News Update. I told you we had a lot in the news, and you hit, you hit on them, that's for sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe, when I saw that video, the first thing I did was I went and I Google searched that guy to see if I could see if it was really him, and I was like, yep, that's him. Um, that's a shame. What's interesting is the first Google search I did on him, well, there was actually a story attached to him about Laramie Tunsil. And so, <laughs> well, and I've saw many, there's all kinds of internet comedians, but he's also the line coach. Um, you know, and doing lines, and yeah, that's just a bad deal. Oh, Forrester actually got his start here with the Minnesota Vikings uh, several years ago, so I, I have some familiarity with him, but uh, not a ton. Yeah, even though he played in Washington, played he was in Washington for a bit. He's been all around the league quite a bit. Um, so anyway, yeah, a lot of injuries, and and like gruesome injuries this week. Uh, you see the injury to Chris Conley last night. I did. Um, can I say that it made my calf hurt as soon as I saw it? Yeah, I mean, the only injury this week that I saw that was more painful was perhaps the uh, one where the uh, pitcher for the Yankees threw the ball and it uh, hit uh, Gary Sanchez uh, in a spot that, uh, needless to say, it made most of us uh, males in the audience watching the game grimace a little bit. I missed that, thank God. But no, I saw, when, I, when they showed that in slow-mo and you could see the calf muscle just kind of looked like it waved. I thought he tore his calf muscle, but winds up it was an Achilles um, rupture. But yeah. yeah, it was definitely painful. But then, I mean, the Odell Beckham injury also looked very graphic. Uh, the injury to J.J. Watt, obviously, uh, with, with the advances in TV broadcasting and, and medical science that we have to this date, of course, they immediately cut to like x-rays of where this particular bone is and, and how it's supposed to be flattened. I'm like, you know what? I'm watching football. I don't need to see that. Yeah. And, you know, you'll see people report JJ's as be having a broken leg, which technically is correct, but it is it does not have the same recovery time frame um, as a normal leg break that you would expect, like mid-leg breaking, where it's just you get casted, you stay off it, and then you, you rehab it. Um, this one's much more laborious from what I can understand, being at the top. Um, it's kind of like that plate, that that's, and it depends on if it's actually displaced or not. Um, for how long the recovery will be, but it's minimally supposed to be three to four months if it's not displaced, and worse if so. Yeah, there's right talk that he may not be ready for OTAs this uh, offseason, so yeah. def definitely it's too bad to see Watt out again uh, for the season, uh, the three out of the last four seasons now. Yeah, it's bad. First ballot Hall of Famer in my mind, I don't care, but it's it's a shame that we're getting to miss out on what should have been you know, some of the best years of his career, too. But in I guess we get to cheer for his brother now. Yeah. Um, but injuries, they are A, B, if you know what I mean. And Father Time is undefeated when it comes to you know players getting older. So, Speaking of Father Time, 
that's kind of a good segue into one of the little segments we're going to do tonight. But guess what? We're not segueing. We're going to go into DFS. We'll go back to Father Time after that. How's that? Well, I mean, everyone cares about the money. That's it's right. all about the money. It's all about the Benjamins, right? There you go. So let's start it off. Quarterback, who are you paying up for? All of the above. <laughs> Drew Brees, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Philip Rivers, and my personal favorite, Deshaun Watson versus Cleveland. You know, Watson just made chopped liver out of a very good Chiefs defense. This is going to seem like a walk in the park. But realistically, uh, plan on putting out a lot of lineups this week because you want to spend up because there's a lot of great options in the higher end price-wise in terms of matchups this week at quarterback. You know what? There are. Um, for me, I had a hard time picking, but I picked one unlike you. You pulled a me this week. Um, I'm going to say that I'm paying up for Brady. He's going to New York where he has struggled in the past and the Jets have played them tough. But that was back in the Rex days. I don't know that Todd Bowles has the players necessary. I think we see New York realize they're not near as good as their record indicates. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that game because that's going to be my value play of the week. Not Tom Brady, but Josh McCown. Uh, New England has the worst pass defense in football. They have allowed the most passing yards as well as the most passing touchdowns per game. And every single quarterback they have faced has topped 300 yards passing. And with the exception of Jameis Winston last week, every quarterback they've faced has multiple passing TDs against them. Well, I don't have McCown as my value play, but he was in the running. It was between him and somebody else, and I decided to go another angle. But I'll give you who I'm going to stay away from first. Go for it. I'm actually going to stay because they're all such great matchups. I'm actually going to stay away from Aaron Rodgers in Minnesota. Hey, we got a match on one here. Uh, staying away uh, from Rodgers myself. Aaron Rodgers typically struggles in Minnesota against Minnesota. Over the last three years, he has posted lines of 213 yards and one touchdown, 212 yards and two touchdowns, and 209 yards and two touchdowns. Now, when you compare that to Josh McCown, that's pretty much one of Josh McCown's best games of, the, of his season. But you're paying $3,000 more for Aaron Rodgers than you're paying for Josh McCown. Yep. So... My value play, it is not going to be Jay Cutler or Blake Bortles. They're both cheap. Um, both have decent enough matchups. Bortles doesn't have the greatest. Um, but do you know what those two guys are, are famous for now? What's that? They are the first duo to each pass for less than 100 yards during the same football week. And their games since, <laughs> since going back to 2010 – when Derek Anderson and Mark Sanchez accomplished the feat. Wow. Nope. My yeah. value play is going to be Brian Hoyer. No, it's not Brian Hoyer. I cheated. You know who my value play is? Who's that? Deshaun Watson. He's not cheap, but he's a value. Why is he a value? Because he should be priced in the $8,000 range, not $6,700. You hit that one on the head. And fortunately for all of us uh, regular DFS players who've been able to take advantage of Watson the last two weeks. He's got one more week, I think, before the uh, algorithms at both DraftKings and FanDuel catch up with his production and start bumping him up to the price tag. And again, he's going to be up there alongside Brady and Rodgers if he puts out another performance like what he's had in the last two weeks and, and realistically so far since he's taken over as the starter. Yeah, he just I, I just think that's why he's a value. He's not a value from a how do I put somebody cheap in my lineup to get more room 
but from where he's priced at, he's a value in my mind. So that's that, that says a lot. That, that the same guy that I'm gonna I'm willing to pay up for right is going to produce at value points. Yep. Okay, let's move the running back. Uh, I'm gonna let you go first. Who are you paying up for at running back? I got to pay up for Leonard Fournette versus the Rams. Uh, despite holding Seattle's crappy running back group to only 99 yards from scrimmage last week, Los Angeles is still allowing nearly 170 combo yards per game to opposing running backs. And Fournette, he's become pretty much automatic. He's scored in every game so far. So, you know, I looked at him. I did. I looked at Le'Veon Bell. I looked at Kareem Hunt. I looked at Melvin Gordon. I looked at all those guys. I wound up going with somebody that probably, honestly, isn't high enough to say I'm paying up for him. But I'm paying up for Todd Gurley. Now, what I don't like is that he's on the road. What I do like is that he's facing a Jacksonville team that can be run on, that has to be run on. And I don't think that the Rams and Sean McVay are going to follow the Steelers' blueprint and not run the ball. That made no sense at all. I'm really surprised. And, I mean, obviously last week I had Antonio Brown as my avoid uh, from a standpoint. And he had a great finish. He finished with a great line, but – Again, I think it was more mainly because they kept forcing him the ball and also because, for whatever reason, Martavis Bryant was completely MIA. Five, five catches for like 21 yards or something like that? That's crazy. Exactly. That's crazy. Like two weeks in a row now, though, that Juju Smith-Schuster has out-targeted him. Yeah. So that's just that's my take on why I think Gurley's the play. Um, who are you avoiding? I think it's an easy oh. pick for who, who we're avoiding, but who are you avoiding? You know, I actually had a hard time with this pick for who I'm avoiding. The guy I'm going to stay away from, though, is Devonta Freeman versus Miami. Uh, Miami has allowed the fifth fewest yards per game and the fourth fewest yards per carry to opposing running backs. Now, again, I think there's a couple other players that are a little bit cheaper that I'd want to avoid, but I think he is going to be the guy that may be on a lot of rosters because it's Atlanta, it's at, ho- at home. People are going to assume he's going to perform really well. And people, for whatever reason, don't give Miami's defense enough credit. They're actually pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, he was close, but I'm picking a guy that's top seven, so maybe he's not that expensive. But I don't see how you can play Ty Montgomery at this point. One, I agree. One with the injury. Two with the emergence of Aaron Jones. What he showed, I just there's no way I have any sort of comfort level using him until we see how Green Bay decides they want to use that combo going forward. So maybe it's a cop-out, but I just don't want anybody to possibly think, oh, Ty Montgomery, that's a decent price. Let me plug him in. No, I mm-hmm. think there's way too much risk to, to play Ty Montgomery. Well, and you didn't mention the obvious factor, which they're going up against the Minnesota Vikings, who don't give up any yardage whatsoever on the ground. Yes. The only way you can beat the Vikings – uh, with your running backs is on pass catches, which Montgomery probably is better suited for than Aaron Jones is. But at the same time, do you really want to count on him to do that? Because you know he's not going to get you any yards in between the tackles. In this not, game. not as the seventh highest priced running back, I don't. Um, who's your value play at running back? At running back, I'm going to choose a player that at the start of the year wouldn't have been a value play. Uh, it's Marshawn Lynch versus the not San Diego Chargers. I was on the radio last week, and I just kept having to say San Diego Chargers, so I've turned it into a drinking game whenever I say that. Yeah. I have to take a shot of something now. So it's Los Angeles Chargers, although considering their attendance, maybe we'll be the San Diego Chargers again very soon. But on the ground, and I'm talking just on the ground, I'm not talking any receptions or air yards to opposing running backs, the Chargers have 
allowed an average of 172 yards and one touchdown over the last three weeks to opposing running backs just on the ground. Someone at FanDuel and DraftKings does not like the Raiders. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> just go look at prices across the Derek board. Derek Carr is supposed to be back for this week. Yeah, <laughs> forget David, Derek Carr. And see, I say David. You say, you say San Diego. I say San Diego, too. So, you know, sue me. Um, no, when, just go look at Amari Cooper. I know he hasn't performed, but look at where they priced Amari Cooper. You just you don't see guys get pushed down that fast. Um, him and Lynch are both five thousand, I think. Anyway, well, in, in the case of Cooper, uh, was he have three catches in the last three games? Yeah, but I'm uh, saying the so algorithm. It's usually a three game span that they use to adjust their algorithm. So, yeah, well, they got him. Um, <laughs> okay, my value play is probably going to seem like a cop out. I'm doing something that I've never done before. You have no idea because we don't share this information before when we're doing our pre-start. Um, Todd Gurley is my value play. I like it. But how can he be my value play if I'm paying up for him? Well, it's kind of like what we do with the quarterbacks there with Deshaun Watson. Yes, it's exactly that. I mean, he's the fifth highest priced running back on the board. I just don't think that he should be priced under that 8000 8500 Mark, so I think that there's a little bit of value baked into him. Now, if you don't like that and you want me to give you a true value play, I like Fioritic in New Orleans on the turf yes. against the Saints. Uh, New Orleans has given up the most pass receptions to any other team's running backs. And what's amazing is that's despite already having had their bye. <laughs> yeah. All right, ne- near, nearly 70 yards a game, actually more than 70 yards a game to opposing re- receivers, uh, over eight receptions per game to opposing running backs uh, as receivers out of the backfield too. Yeah, so there you go. You like my value play. My value. I, I like play. both value plays there, but I really I, I wanted to put Riddick myself, but at the same time I, I wanted to get the shot in there for Lynch because, again, he, he yeah. doesn't deserve to be this cheap with Derek Carr back in the lineup. No, he doesn't. I mean, Tevin Coleman's $5,000 too, the same as Lynch, and Lynch is definitely the guy that's going to get lion's share of the carries. Um, let's move to the wide receiver. Who are you paying up for? I know it's not Amari Cooper. Well, you know what? I faded him the last two weeks. He burned me last week, so I'm going to pay up for Antonio Brown this week uh, going against Kansas City. DeAndre Hopkins runs a lot of the same route tree that uh, Antonio Brown runs, and DeAndre Hopkins just scored three touchdowns against Kansas City's defense mainly by getting away from Marcus Peters. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a very talented receiver, but Antonio Brown is just that much more talented than he is. Uh, this could be the week Brown busts out for three or four touchdowns, even though Pittsburgh's on the road. Ah, there's the rub. See, here's the problem. Brown is 93-9200. I don't think that that algorithm baked in Roethlisberger not having it anymore especially <laughs> on the road. Um, so I'm not paying up for Brown. What can Brown do for you? Brown can take the bench for me because that's who I'm avoiding. He probably will. Who are you paying up for? He, I would say he probably will have a good game, but I'm avoiding him because I don't like the fact that Ben has played so poorly on the road. Just too much risk. I'm paying up for Nuke. Give me DeAndre Hopkins again. Nice. He had a huge game. Uh, he actually kind of saved his own line with the uh, two late touchdowns there. But uh, again, I, I was high on Will Fuller last week, and I, I thought that he would have the better matchup. But again, even when Hopkins lined up opposite Peters, 
he found a way to run a route that got himself away from Peters and still get touchdown passes. So, yeah, again, he's he's looking good. Watson's looking good. That hookup, if you stacked all three of those guys this past week, you're in the money. You want to talk about efficient. There was a point last night in that game where the two, Fuller and Hopkins, combined for four catches and four touchdowns. Okay, I've got a story for you from the last game. In one of my Superflex leagues, uh, I was actually down 103 to 34 going into last night's game. In that game, he had had every one of his players play. I had Alex Smith, Tyreek Hill, and Deshaun Watson still to go. I beat him 105 to 103. Nice. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I told you who I'm who I'm staying away from in Antonio Brown, which is who you're paying up for, so that really confuses people. Who are you staying away from? Don't say Nuke. No, I'm not going to stay away from Nuke. I, 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 in fact, I think that you should have as many shares of Texans as you can this week. I'm going to stay away from Tyreek Hill, though. Uh, Pittsburgh has been very tough on opposing wide receivers. As, as a whole, opposing wide receiver core are averaging only 8.2 receptions per game. Again, not individual receivers. That's the entirety of their opposition's wide receiver core. And in total for yardage per game, they're averaging only 83 yards per game to the position. Now, with Hill, I think he's going to be shut down fairly well by Pittsburgh's secondary. The, the big thing that you're hoping for with Hill is that he might get a reverse carry for a touchdown, or, or like last night, and have the uh, punt return touchdown. Okay, gotcha. Who's your value play? Let's see if it's the same one. I bet you it's not. Uh, it probably isn't, actually. I'm, I'm going to pay up a little bit higher than I normally do on my value play at receiver this week, and that's because there's a guy I really like, and that's Deshaun Jackson against a suddenly mediocre Arizona pass defense. Now, Arizona is allowing the seventh most yards per reception over the last three weeks, and multiple secondary receivers have torched them already this year. Last week, it was Nelson Aguilar and Torrey Smith. The week before that was Aldrick Robinson and Trent Taylor. Prior to that, Bryce Butler and Terrence Williams both had great statistical lines against this Arizona defense that is nowhere near as good as people think it is. And there's no way he's going to pull Patrick Peterson. No. That's not going to happen. That's Mike Evans all day long probably. So, yeah, I like that. That's not a bad play. Um, I'm paying up a little more than I would normally pay up for for the value play also. Um, now, so far tonight, hold on, let me make sure. Let me see what's going on here. Yep, two targets, no catches. There you go. Nice. Glad Bradford's back. Um, the guy that I'm saying is a value play is Stefan Diggs. Yeah, there's some injuries in that Green Bay secondary. They lost a couple more guys this past week. Uh, uh, I want to say, is it Kenny King, yes. the, the second-year guy? Yep. As well as Randall, both uh, left the game briefly yesterday. I don't know if either of them will miss this coming week, but certainly something to watch as we get closer to Friday. Yeah, again, but before losing them, their, their secondary was already kind of shoddy. It was, and, and this play is really more about the value in that. I just don't think he's priced right. For He's one of the top, I don't know, three to five wide receivers in the game right now, the way he's playing. Um, this game against Chicago so far notwithstanding, I just don't see why he should be priced so low, and hopefully the algorithm will catch up. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a value from that standpoint. Again, if you want me to play fair and give you a cheaper guy that's truly a value play the way most people would look at it, I narrowed it down to two guys in the same game, Jamison Crowder and Pierre Garçon. 
And I'm going to say I want to go with Garcon in the revenge game. I like that. Um, yeah, that's as far double, as really, that's a, really that's cheap. A, that's a double revenge game because Shanahan is the coach. <laughs> right? It, well, if, if you're going to go that deep, I, I think you almost have to consider what uh, – on the other side of the ball, Vernon Davison. Well, that'll depend on Jordan Reed's health. Well, <laughs> I think that's a good segue into our tight end position. It is. Because I'm staying away from Jordan Reed versus San Francisco. Uh, the Niners are allowing an average of only 2.8 receptions and only 23 yards a game to the tight end position this year. They've not allowed a single touchdown to any tight end yet this year. And... Again, you you look at San Francisco, you think to yourself, oh, they're not a good defense. But they've actually been surprisingly stingy against tight ends. I have a possible idea why. I'm getting ready to check something here. Let's see what happens when I check this. And I, don't, I may not have it. Yeah, there you go. Panned right out for me. Probably because they're giving up the third most points to running backs, and a lot of that is <laughs> through the air. Um, because Navarro Bowman, his, he got benched this weekend. Um, due to his play, he's just he's having a hell of a time. Um, injuries and old, and you know, like I said, father time, tough things to overcome. And he's just not moving like the Navarro Bowman of old. He got benched um, due to play. So, yeah, if Reed's healthy and playing, I'd find it hard to bench him. But I can understand why he would do so. Um, so you said you're benching him. You didn't say who you're playing yet, right? Who you're paying? I for. did not. No. Okay. Well, I'll give you who I'm benching. I'm benching Gronk. Um, Again, same thing. Too much, uh, too much risk with the injury history, and the price is just astronomical. When you just don't know what you're going to get, and if they get that game out of hand early, Gronk could just take a you know sightseeing tour in New York and come back and catch the plane home. Okay, well, I'm going to pay up for a guy who was a value play last week for us, and that's Austin Safarian Jenkins against New England in that very same game again. Uh, New England has allowed a tight end touchdown in every game except one this year. And you know what? Safarian Jenkins, uh, he paid off for us last week. I, I think you start him again this week, and I think he's going to pay off again. His price tag is actually starting to climb a little higher, so yeah. I can kind of justify him being a pay-to-play now. And he's 4300 so yeah, I mean, he's, he's fourth-highest tight end on the board, so they caught up with him fast. Um, I've loved him since the preseason. I was telling people, pick him up. I thought he was a great stash. And, yes, it's working out so far. Uh, the guy that I'm paying up for is Travis Kelsey. Um, Pittsburgh does have speed at linebacker. They've got some spe- overall speed on that team, but Kelsey's going to get the targets where I think, like you said, wide receiver Tyreek Hill, and, and they're going to be a little struggle there. And with the being thinner at wide receiver now due to injuries, et cetera, I think that Kelsey's a safe play if you're going to pay up for a, a tight end. Assuming he clears the concussion protocol. That is true. You're right. I, I forgot. I should have added that. Um, he did clear it, and then he went back out, and then he and went, then he back, went out. back out again. <laughs> yeah, because he, he should have probably never made it back. So I don't know, but yeah, if so, I, I guess a really deep sleeper then at tight end would be Demetrius Harris. Oh, that'd be deep. Yes, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to go quite that far with my value plays. Uh, I've actually got two value plays that I'm going to bring up this week. I bet you have one one that's mine. First one is AJ Derby versus the New York Giants. He's only available on the FanDuel slate because he's playing in the late game. But the Giants have allowed at least one tight end touchdown in all five games so far. And they're allowing an average of 6.8 catches and 75 yards per game to the position. 
My second value play is going to be George Kittle. Uh, Washington has allowed the second most yards to opposing tight ends. Again, same thing as before, despite already having had their bye. So, in other words, even discounting the fact that they've played one less game than every than most of the other teams in the league, they've given up the second most yards to the tight end position. I think they're that's good. They're good calls, uh, both of them. Um, and I, you know what? In that same game, I, I'm bypassing because of not being available on the DraftKings slate, but Evan Ingram should get a ton of targets and a ton of yeah. play with what happened at wide receiver there. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he lines up as they're starting one of their starting receivers. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, but he, Brad Ellison at tight end. But you know what? They probably have the league has some wide receivers that are bigger than he is as a tight end. Um, well, I think he played a lot of his snaps in college as kind of a split end as well. So, yep. So my value play is a guy who I think I'd rather say his name than spell it, but he's risky. David Njoku. Love him. Absolutely love him. He's one of my favorite dynasty tight ends. Yep. And I love him with Hogan under center. And that's hopefully that's that remains for this week. If it if they pull Hogan and go back to Kaiser, I'm not going to like that play. Um, but as long as Hogan's under center, I think it's a good matchup for them. Um, and we know that, you know, that defense can be exploited. Totally agree. We've got some great values out there for people to choose from. And again, these are these are not a lot of uh, everyday name guys that we're throwing out there. These are guys who are readily available on the waiver wire in your league. So even if you're not playing DFS, if you're playing in a, a season-long league and you need to plug-and-play a tight end or plug-and-play a wide receiver for the week, look at some of these sleepers because there's definite value to be found in a one-week substitution-type format. Right. And, and I, I should clarify when I said that defense um, can be had being Houston. Houston's got a solid defense, but losing Watt, losing Merciless, was it was Merciless that went out, right? Yes. Um, losing those two, that's a big hit. And and I do think that they're better at covering wide receivers than they are tight ends anyway. And you saw what Travis Kelsey did this past week. So I think that Ninjoku is going to have a pretty decent game and easily could return value based on what his price tag is. My only, The only thing that's held me back on Ninjoku this year has been the fact that for whatever given reason, Cleveland still likes to deploy... Uh, both him and Seth DeVelve at the same time. And uh, I'm sorry, I I just see zero potential, zero value, zero future in Seth DeVelve. Nyoku, on the other hand, has immense upside. And and I I just think that he's got a better chemistry with Hogan already, so that's what I like about it. Hogan! Hey, hey, he's priced the same as Eric Ebron. (laughs) Darren Fells, folks, two touchdowns last week. That's all we have to tell you about Detroit's use of their tight ends. Yeah, that's nice. I'm a Nebron owner, so screw that. All right. That's what we got for DFS. Um, now we hinted at father time and injury, I think, right? Yeah, and particularly at the quarterback position. So let it rip. What are we going to do? What I've done is I've separated quarterbacks into a couple different tiers, and I, I think I'm going to start with uh, – the one that we're going to talk about the most, and that is quarterbacks who are in their latter years in the league. And what effect you feel these players, uh, from a dynasty standpoint, from owners who may want to be acquiring a wide receiver or running back or whatnot surrounding this particular quarterback, what effect is going to be had on those players based on the accelerated ages of these quarterbacks? 
Okay. Uh, guys I've put into this tier. Hold on. Include- hold on. I'm going to stop you real quick. Um, I'm glad that you're bringing it up in this context because a few years ago I did, I think it was the DLF podcast when they had me on. And one of the things that I talked about at that time was it was the draft. Well, this will tell you when it was. Whatever year Moncrief, Dante Moncrief was a rookie. So how long ago was that? Three years, four years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, five years ago, I don't remember. Anyway, I said Moncrief is one of those the rich get richer type players in dynasty drafts. And by that, what I meant was he was going in the late first round. The teams that were drafting him usually were the teams that were better, right? Mm-hmm. And what they were getting in my mind was, at the time, I saw a player that had solid upside but had a phenomenally great young quarterback to grow with in Andrew Luck. And for me, that was one of the key factors. So the fact that you broke it down and want to do it this way, I'm on board. Okay, so uh, I'm going to list off a few of these elder statesman quarterbacks now. Guys who I believe probably are either at or near the end of their careers just due to age in the NFL. Uh, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Alex Smith, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Flacco, Jay Cutler, Carson Palmer, Brian Hoyer, and Josh McCown. Right there we have 12 of the starting quarterbacks in this league who are all in their advanced years, all of whom are on the decline in their careers, potentially, with the exceptions being Brady and Rodgers. How, how do you perceive judging the value of receivers and other offensive skill position players on those teams? Well, McCown you can cross off because there really isn't anybody there to worry about that's a skill player. Um, that's true. If there was, let's say you had an OBJ there, um, even though he's coming, he'll have the injury he's coming off of, I would love that scenario in a sense because you know that they're probably going to wind up with a higher draft pick that'll net them one of the solid young quarterbacks that they could grow with. Um, but you take McCown, cross him off. Same thing with Hoyer. Um, I think a lot of people expect San Fran to wind up with Kirk Cousins after this offseason. Um, <coughs> But whether that happens or not, I mean, you got Pierre Garcon. Who else do you have at receiver? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't. That one doesn't bother me at all. Um, Carson Palmer. You got Larry Fitzgerald, who's also riding off in the sunset. A bunch of Browns. Um, so again, there's no one there that I feel like it doesn't. How about the effect on David Johnson? Now Johnson, that could be one where yeah, you need to find a find a veteran quarterback, hopefully, because if they think their window is still open, they're probably going to want to try and if they feel that Carson's done or he retires. Um, a guy like Alex Smith, who's on your list, I actually think is playing somewhere else next year and very likely could be a place like Arizona. And in that case, I'm happy with David Johnson. But, yeah, if they wind up no Palmer and they wind up with a project at quarterback and you know they already have offensive line issues still, that's the kind of thing that, yeah, you would want to push him down your list a little bit because the quarterback does help the running back, even though it's a vice versa. It's kind of like that whole pass rush thing where a defensive end is not going to get to the quarterback if the cornerbacks can't cover. And the cornerbacks, if, they, if the defensive end is not getting pressure, they can't cover but so long. So, now How about a guy like, say, Michael Thomas with uh, Drew Brees? Obviously, Thomas has looked very, very good in his first year and a half, but uh, – the impending loss of Breeze at some point, either due to free agency or to 
again, just retirement due to old age. That takes that makes me put him down below guys that are playing for younger quarterbacks like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, where I'd rather know that I've got two young guys at quarterback that have wide receivers that can grow with them. Because, yeah, you have to worry. Who's going to wind up in New Orleans? Is it going to be a retread, or is it going to be a young guy, and it's going to be a total rebuild? And if it's a total rebuild, yeah, he'll have value, but is he going to have top five-ish value? Probably not. So I'd be well, selling. Oh. I'd be selling Thomas in a dynasty league if I could get top five value for him. Well, and I'd like to add, actually, in a couple of the dynasty leagues that I'm in, I've actually sold Antonio Brown this past offseason just because of my big concern that how much longer Ben Roethlisberger will have it. Yeah, um, that's another one. I, I would be concerned with Brown. If if I was in a position where I've got, I'm have i going to make a deep run in the playoffs and I own Brown, I keep him. Because I think too often we see players not play for today and they're playing for tomorrow. But if you know you're truly out of it and your shot, your shot is a long one to win it all, yeah, I might try and sell high on Brown also to get some pieces to rebuild with, et cetera. Um, Brady, I mean, who does he have at, at, at wide receiver? We've got Brandon Cooks. So Cooks is, I want to say he's a one-trick pony, but speed is his game. Brady probably has maybe another year, two years left. So I try not to plan too much longer than two, three years into the future with, with um, Dynasty League. So I still say Cooks would be a hold. Um, Eli, that's a big worry, quite honestly. He's lost it. So if Ben's looking for it, he won't find it in Eli's closet either. Um, that's a concern for me for OBJ um, going forward because you don't know who they're going to have. But you know what? As bad as they are, they may have the top overall pick and land <coughs> one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. And that could be a plus, but that's just a lot of risk. Um, well, you mentioned in discussion there some of the retread quarterbacks. And that's kind of where I've got my second tier of players at. Uh, guys who haven't really fully panned out yet, but who have veteran experience, who might have a job next year someplace. And that's guys such as Blake Bortles, Sam Bradford, Trevor Simeon, Tyrod Taylor, and perhaps even going as high as a guy like Andy Dalton. <sighs> see, I don't think they're the retreads that we're going to see move next year. Yeah, Bradford, you might. It'll depend on Teddy and how he comes along, right? Yes. Um, it also depends on how deep they go. So as an example, let's use Alex Smith and Bradford as examples because I think that they are two that could easily move next year. Either one of those teams gets to the Super Bowl and or wins it, I think the team is hard-pressed not to bring that quarterback back for another year. I have to totally agree there. I think that uh, neither team is so certain at their backup spot that they could afford to do that. If they're coming off a Super Bowl appearance or win. Now, either of them get to the playoffs and check out earlier than the Super Bowl, I think that they're two guys that are being moved and wind up going to another situation. Now, do you think Dalton is a guy that's still young enough that he might find himself in a situation like Arizona and be a factor? You know, I don't know what it is. I just I don't see... Cincinnati quitting on Dalton. Um, I know Marvin, I don't know how he still has his job sometimes, um, but he seems to just be, he's got pictures of Mike Brown or something. I don't know. Um, he's got a video like the Dolphins offensive lineman maybe of Mike Brown or something. I don't know. But um, I just don't see Dalton moving on. I don't. Well, you mentioned earlier one of the guys who I label as the current studs. 
uh, as a guy who is actually on the move right now, and that's Kirk Cousins. I've got him in a tier along with Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, and even the currently injured Andrew Luck. Okay, so what do you want from me on those? What do you feel about, uh, obviously Stafford just signed a huge contract. Is Newton going to be a stud going forward? How about a guy like Luck? Is he going to come back and be a stud? And how does that affect your value of, say, a guy like Moncrief now, three years later? Well, here's what I say. We'll start with Cam. One, Cam hasn't seemed to really make any of his, other than Greg Olson, any of his you know, skill position players great. Um, what I have noticed, and I saw a tweet on it the other day, was you know, a couple of years ago when Cam won MVP, look at who his wide receivers were and what he was doing. He had a great offensive line. That offensive line, not so much right now. So maybe they should worry about rebuilding the offensive line for Cam. Um, as far as Stafford, he is what he is, and I think he's going to be there for a few years. So I have no problems with any of the skilled players in Detroit. I am concerned in Washington, though. I would not invest heavily in Josh Doxton because you just don't know what's going to happen. And I do not believe Kirk Cousins is back in Washington next year. So you don't know what you're going to have. Um, so that makes me concerned with him. Yes, absolutely. Concerned about Terrell Pryor also because of that. Um, Russ, I don't have any concerns with Russell Wilson. I don't think he leaves Seattle. I just wish they would get him a damn offensive line. I was going to say, the, the concern with Russell Wilson is how much longer will he be able to walk? Yeah, that is. So, no, and, and I think all of their offensive skill players tend to be underrated. Doug Baldwin underrated. Um, you know, stuff like that. There's not a lot of volume for that second wide receiver. Tyler Lockett's doing a decent enough job. I think they've got to square away their running back situation. But is that a function of them having a horrible offensive line? Is that why these guys are getting hurt, you know, or underperforming? I don't know. But I don't have any worries about Russ or what it's going to do to the players there, nor do I with Matt Ryan. I think that he's going to be, and Breeze didn't finish his career with one team, but you might as well say he did. I kind of see Ryan as the last line of you know, those types of Brady guys that stay where they were and finish their career out there. I think that's what we'll see with Ryan. So we've got those six guys. I've also identified seven guys who are really the, the next wave, the, the next sure things to come out. That leaves, that, that's 13 teams out of 32 teams that have an obvious plan in place for four or five years down the line. Those guys being Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. But when you're talking 18 teams, 19 teams out of 32 teams, really don't have a clear plan in place for four or five years out from now, is there going to be enough players coming through the, the pipeline from college that are going to be able to step in and be effective players in the NFL. Yeah, there's always going to be there's always going to be players who are going to step in and be effective, and those are quarterbacks that you're right. Over the next three to five years, those are going to be the guys that look to be the cream, plus a rookie or two here and there in the next couple of years. So, yeah, they're the guys where I'm going to be buying in on the Mike Evans. If you want a guy to invest in long term right now. I probably wouldn't ha if I really had to sit here and think about it, and I haven't done this till right now. I probably would have Evans number one on my list um, at wide receiver, if not Evans, possibly Julio Jones, and then his injury history would push that down. So 
I think that you that Evans can clearly be made a guy that you can say because of the quarterback situation, because of the situation in Tampa, et cetera, he's easily the number one wide receiver for dynasty players going forward. And that's how I would look at all this stuff. I'd go to the next one, Marcus Mariota. Who's there offensively? What is their identity? Well, they're more of a run-heavy team. I don't know that Derrick Henry is a guy that's going to actually take over 100% when Murray's gone. But what's there at wide receiver, and is there enough there to go around? Carson Wentz, what does he have? Is Alshon Jeffrey the answer? Probably not going long, long term because of the injury history and age. So I don't know that they have a player. But as they draft players in these teams, they're ones that I would definitely look at targeting. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, I think he's a great buy right now. Most people would say that you're trying to buy high, but I don't think people believe he can sustain it. And I just think it's something that can be sustained and that there might be some upside as Watson grows. It's a good take on all those players there. Again, it's amazing to think that, uh, again, five years from now, New Orleans, New England, the New York Giants, San Diego Chargers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, even potentially the Green Bay Packers, all these teams – that have been so much almost like football dynasties over the last decade. These teams may find themselves in a position that the fact that they've been good so long, they haven't had that chance to land that promising young rookie quarterback. They they may have a couple, three years of uh, underperforming, so to speak on their horizon. Yep. Absolutely. You know what else is unbelievable with this segment? What's that? I can't believe you got me to talk quarterbacks for almost 15 minutes. Hey, zero quarterback theory, so you've got to be able to identify those deep sleeper quarterbacks uh, that's going to be that next of the next tier. Yes, and listen, while I'm all zero quarterback, in a dynasty league, if you can acquire pieces and you're using depth to get pieces, I'm not saying I sell a lot of stuff to get a quarterback, but I have no problem acquiring better quarterbacks that make your decision-making process easier so you don't have to worry about the position going forward i just i'm not going to put a lot of assets into it but if you have a you know wealth of riches and you can turn a couple of them into a stronger asset at quarterback i don't have any problems with that well i think the key thing for our listeners to get out of this segment more so than identifying quality quarterbacks for the future for their fantasy teams because again you can you can always find a fantasy startable quarterback oftentimes on the waiver wire but the key part of this conversation is to identify how quarterbacks who are available are going to, or how quarterbacks on actual NFL franchises will affect the players around them. Yep. That's what this is about. It absolutely is. How does the quarterback shape the rest of the skill players for those teams? And that's a viewpoint that you have to have and look at and understand that's looking at the full picture, not just the player. Well, that's what I've got on quarterbacks for this week. I, I knew that you would enjoy that because, again, I know how, how high you are on, yeah. on drafting a quarterback in the first round each year. That's okay. There was good theory behind it, so that's why I like it. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're almost we're approaching the 50-minute mark, possibly our longest episode of the season, but I think it was a good episode. Hopefully our um, DFS plays help people and don't confuse them anymore. Um, I will say – I appreciate all your hard work and effort so far this this part of the season that we're through so far, Harley. And everybody should make sure that they're checking him out on Twitter, at Nuclear Harley. Of course, you can follow me, at Steve Gallo NFL. And by all means, please follow us on um, iTunes, rate us, review us, all that good stuff. And until next week, get Blitz responsible. Cheers. 